Welcome. You are listening to Conversations from Christchurch Cranbrook. We are a faith community located in Metro Detroit who have been transformed by God's acceptance, love, and grace. Whoever you are, wherever you find yourself on the journey of faith today, we pray this podcast will feed your soul and inspire your spirit. I speak to you today as a sinner to sinners, as the beloved of God to God's beloved, as one called to bear witness to those called to bear witness. Amen. When I was 16 years old, I had this uh, incredible transformation in my life because of a kind of conversion experience that I had. I became a Christian and I somehow had this experience of Christ's presence in me and in my life and the love of Christ running through me. And for me, that meant actually being kind, not only to everybody else, but to be kind to myself. And I discovered inside of myself gifts that I didn't know I had. I became an athlete and actually rose to a pretty high level as an athlete. I became a student and I became a good student and I found myself in an Ivy League institution in the seeming blink of an eye. And that is an incredible testimony in itself. I am so grateful to God that I had these opportunities to both experience incredible lows, incredible depression, incredible um, uh, loneliness and sadness, but also to experience incredible joy. But the challenge that I felt is that I suddenly went from being in kind of the lower strata, the lower stro- social strata of my, of my high school to suddenly being kind of somebody who would be invited to parties and things like that. And I had this crippling social anxiety that constantly followed me around. I was constantly afraid to be around these people who were so much in the winner's circle so often that they could never really relate to someone like me. And I was deeply afraid that somehow I'd be found out. And so when I got to college, I just found myself looking and searching for other Christians, other people that took their faith seriously and who could somehow help me heal a bit. And I was blessed to know a group of Christians who took their Christian faith seriously. And we spent a lot of time in fellowship together. There was a lot of discipleship. They never asked me to leave my uh, Episcopal church where I had found my home. They did probably find some of our practices strange, probably to this day. And yet, they spent so much time on me. And there was one uh, couple in particular that um, were like almost quasi-parents to me. It was uh, Kelly Sharp, who was uh, from Oklahoma. He went to Clinton High School, where he was a standout uh, uh, football player, was recruited by Brown to be a, um, a football player there, and he had a devastating injury and uh, spent the same intensity, kind of devoted the same amount of time and intensity to doing Christian work at Brown University as he had to being an athlete. And there was his fiancée, Rebecca Mayol, who was from Puerto Rico, and she was 
intent on becoming a doctor, and she was, they were just kind of almost like the, the, the head of this little Christian family that we had, and they spent a lot of time on me, and I adored them, and I, I looked up to Kelly, but I particularly uh, adored Rebecca. She was kind of, uh, a, kind of a, a, a big sister, if not a mother, to me. And when it came time for them to get married, I was invited to be in the wedding party. And I flew down to Puerto Rico, and this was the first time I was going to one of, a wedding that was not part of my extended family. And I was a bit terrified on the flight there because of the anxiety that I was experiencing. I was going into this new space. I was trying to um, find my way. And I decided that I had this incredible opportunity to just be really outgoing. <laughs> that that I, this would be my chance to actually just be completely liberated from the things that somehow kept me imprisoned. And so I got to Puerto Rico and I just, and I realized also that I would never see many of these people ever again. So I had, there was just kind of, it was a freebie. It was a chance to just live a little. And I got to Puerto Rico and I just decided I would be the opposite of what my inside was telling me to be. And uh, I met uh, Dr. Mayol, Rebecca's father. He was this saintly, wonderful man. I stayed in their family home. Kelly and I shared a bedroom before he went to be married. And at the reception, I suddenly saw something that just terrified me. It was dancing. I had never really gotten the whole hang of dancing. And so I, I, I initially had that kind of recoil, but then I just kind of threw myself in. And they insisted that I had to be taught this one dance early on. And I said, what is it? They said, it's the chicken dance. I said, you mean like Mick Jagger's chicken dance? I mean, this seems like an unusual thing. They said, no, no, no. I said, is it like Rufus Thomas's funky chicken? They said, no, no. They said, the chicken dance. It's, it's, it's this kind of, it's four, four, four little beak movements. And there's three flaps and then a little shimmy and then four claps, or if you're really good, eight. So it goes, give me a hand. Let me just do, I'll just, I'll just present it to you all. So ready, let's just stay, stay, stay at home. Great. Go. That's enough of that. Yes, thank you. And then I started to sweat, and I was like, oh my God, I'm starting to sweat. And they said, friend, it's Puerto Rico. Everybody sweats here. And I suddenly had this moment. Of, I just started to cut the rug unbelievably. I became a dancing fool that day and, and into the evening. And finally, the band leader came up to me, and he said, look, um, brother, we got to go to another club to play. We got to shut you down. It's time to stop dancing. <laughs> and I think about that. <laughs> that moment of dancing, and during that time I was dancing with Rebecca's sister, who was just absolutely gorgeous, and I just felt like this incredible sense of liberation and triumph. And as I go through that time, um, at one point, there was this moment where Rebecca came to me the day after the wedding, and she said, do you want to see my, my sister again? And <laughs> 
I said, you know, and she said, if you do, there has to be a chaperone. We have to make sure this is going to be an honorable meeting. I said, yes. And I said, you know, to myself, you know, I've pushed my social skills right to the red zone with this. I don't think I could, I'm at 6,000 RPMs. There's no way I'm not going to screw this up. And I said, you know what, let's, let, maybe the next time I'm in Puerto Rico, <laughs> we can meet. Or maybe when she comes to visit or, or something. And so I flew back and, and that wedding was such a transforming moment in my life. I have a picture of it that I'm going to share with you. Um, it's actually of, of Kelly is on the right and Becky's in the middle and I am on the left. And um, this is such a treasure to me. I got this last night as I was texting with Rebecca and she sent it. It's a, a kind of reminder of transformation. And I share this with you because I want you all to see that um, weddings are times in which we participate in something larger than ourselves. Uh, weddings are incredibly important, not just to the bride and the groom, but, but they seem to somehow capture the fullness of time. You have all the generations there, and it's a kind of participation in heaven. In fact, if you read the New Testament closely, you'll see that there is a carry forth from the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament of feasting around covenants to a wedding feast. And so in Revelation, you have this culmination of all of the revelation of Christ as being held in heaven in which there is the wedding feast of the Lamb. And of course, Jesus does his first sign at a wedding in Cana of Galilee. And all of this is to set a context, I think, for how we are to see the gospel we have before us today. Because Jesus gives this parable, and this parable can be fearsome. It can be something that upsets us. Because it's a story of a king who is holding a wedding feast for his son, he sends out entreaties and invitations and they are rejected because people are too busy or even downright vindictive. And then the king murders them all and brings in new people and one person is wearing a wedding garment or is not wearing a wedding garment and then he is uh, sent out, bound up and gagged and thrown out into the darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. And these are fearsome words. And Jesus gives them at an incredibly fearsome time in his ministry. He had just entered Jerusalem, and these were the final parables he was giving to his disciples as he was preparing for his own death on the cross and resurrection. But I want you to see in today's gospel that the fact that Jesus uses the term wedding, that he is trying to actually speak about the power of resurrection. Because as the theme of wedding moves through the New Testament, it powerfully begins to remind us of the resurrection of all things, the coming together of all things, the transformation of all things in Christ. And I believe that even in our most secular weddings, you can see a kind of image of resurrection no matter what happens and the promises that the two parties make to each other the bride and the groom you see a kind of 
promise that will be everlasting, greater and stronger than death. And in the music that is played and the dancing that happens after the ritual dances happen, there's also the minor ritual where the band plays and the children who are present at that wedding, they immediately come out and they start to dance because they know in their hearts that that music is meant for them and they let their bodies go with the rhythm. Weddings are powerful images of resurrection. They don't celebrate the past so much as they celebrate a new beginning and a new future that is powerful. And so when Jesus tells this parable of the wedding feast, underlying all of that rhetoric of threat and intimidation and powerful invocation by the king, and of course this is not a king like the king we have in Jesus, we see a powerful image of the urgency of experiencing resurrection today. Because when Jesus tells this parable about the wedding feast, I think his point is that we can somehow miss the most important things going on around us and we can lose ourselves into the details and distractions, the anxieties or even the bitter resentments we have to God, but in fact, God and Christ is inviting us to resurrection. And all of that urgency that Jesus imbues this parable and tries to get his disciples to see, well, that's just an invitation for us to see how important the resurrection is to us. There are three things I want you to see about what it means to be a resurrected people. The first is that the resurrection remembers our future. That is to say, the resurrection doesn't celebrate something that Jesus did in the past, but it celebrates something that is already in our present and in our future. And particularly at times in which we uh, find ourselves confined in our space and maybe even confined in our perspective, when we can be lost in things that fill us with dread and hope, things that keep us from knowing where we are to go, when we can feel alone and sad, when we can feel anxious about our, our, our way in this world, when we can become obsessed and doom-scrolling through everything we read about this pandemic and the polarization of this country. The resurrection is a reminder to us that our future is assured and it is already breaking into our present through Christ. The second thing I want you to see, and this is in some ways a reiteration of the first, is that the resurrection begins today. The resurrection is not a reward for you living a good life. The resurrection is the power of Christ already present in you. So when you find in your heart the ability to forgive when you have had someone abuse you, when you have found in your heart the ability to live, when you have been surrounded by death, when you have found the ability to rejoice in spite of mourning, 
when you found the ability to find the peace of God when everybody around you is losing it. That is the resurrection already working in you through Christ. And finally, the resurrection is the power to live as if death were not. And if you're like me and if you see things my way, we are surrounded by invitations to put on death glasses and see the world as coming and to falling to pieces. But the resurrection reminds you that there is life after death. There is reconciliation after hate. That love is stronger than the power of sin and death. That we will find each other and come together at the wedding feast of the Lamb. So today I have an exhortation for you. It's an exhortation that picks up on what we find in our reading today from Philippians, where Paul says to us, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Listen for the music. It's meant for you. Don't be afraid to move your bodies. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations at Christ Church Cranbrook. To learn more about our mission, worship services, and learning opportunities, please visit us at ChristChurchCranbrook.org. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram at ChristChurchCranbrook. We look forward to you joining us again, and may God bless you now and always.